Record with Furniture Today, a podcast that goes behind the headlines to look at the news and the newsmakers, the people and the personalities that give the furniture industry its unique flavor. I'm your host, Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. Hi, I'm Trisha Yearwood, and you're tuned to Furniture Today's On the Record podcast with Bill McLaughlin. Before we turn to Bill and his guests, I just want to give a shout out to the entire Furniture Today team and remind you that when there's something exciting to announce, you'll read about it first in Furniture Today. And now, here's Bill McLaughlin and On the Record. Welcome to On the Record. My guest this week is Jeremy Hoff, president of Case Goods and Upholstery for Hooker Furniture. Jeremy, we do have the list of questions, but in our in our pre-interview, we, we talked a little bit about something that I think um, really relates to who Hooker is. And your title, I think, in some way reflects that. You are the president of Case Goods and an Upholstery. And I think that speaks to the approach that Hooker takes to the marketplace. You were talking about um, a quote. Uh, from Clyde Hooker. Yeah, I actually don't have the exact quote, but his his message was that Hooker needed to find itself a niche was pretty close to what he said. Um, so a lot of our focus ends up being around the categories. So we have collection business, of course, but we have an accent business. We have a home entertainment business, a home office business, the Hooker upholstery business. So we, we try to focus on um, these businesses that are all parts of our larger business, but they are categories and they are niches. So that must give you a real focus on each. I mean, that that kind of relates to your title, right? I mean, you're president yes. of upholstery specifically and case goods specifically. Yes. So it a really gives part, you a focus. A big part of our job ends up being um, making sure our definition within each of those categories is correct from where we should live in a price point, where our look should be headed. Um, why, why do we exist that, that, that's in each category you have to start with, why do we exist in this category? Why does the consumer want to buy this at the end of the day from us? Why do our customers need this to sell to their consumer? So if you start with that question and work your way towards the end of the process, where you should be in that category, I find that helps our team focus and help, but helps us arrive at the place we need to be. So you gave an example as we were talking. I don't know if you can share it in advance of High Point Market, but there's mm-hmm. an example of that. Can mm-hmm. you can you talk about what your your plans are for this category? Yeah, uh, one of our categories um, we're having a major focus in home office. Um, we see home office as an opportunity. I believe you know the, the the category for the industry has declined, but it's really gone to lower price points. But there's still a middle to upper mid area that we feel like needs product and needs our product specifically. We still do a pretty significant amount of business in the category. And um, we're also at market, people will see a timeline. We're doing the history of home office at Hooker Furniture. Um, Hank Long was a major part of that. So you'll see, you'll see everything that's pretty much happened to our company from, you know, back when we really were, you know, pretty much a major home office supplier to now and and we'll say why we're in it and what we're doing now as well. Why do you think that category is doing so well again? Why is it such a good category? Um, I think that um, more and more people are working out of the home. Um, I think that different people are working out of the home. So it used to be you'd have an executive home office and Mm -hmm. it was a very specific way. You had your executive desk, your credenza, you had your 
the pieces everyone knew you had to have. Now it's spread out to other areas of the home. So you may need a writing desk in an area of a home. You may need a file cabinet that doesn't look like a file cabinet. You may need a desk that sometimes it's sit-down desk. Maybe it's a standing desk. So there's innovation that's occurring within the category as well. That And technology's affected it in a major way. Um, all the laptops and the iPads and everything that people are utilizing don't require the same type of space in furniture. So we... We're trying. We're evolving with it and trying to do as much category as we can. Gives you a lot of flexibility in terms of design. I mean, there was that point where everybody had the the giant towers, right? And you had to make room for that huge CPU. So you were everything was closed front, and you had to have a big space for storage. And now with a laptop or an iPad or, like you said, a standing desk, I think it opens up visually and aesthetically a whole lot of opportunity. You product designers must love. They do, and it does, and and. You know, we're constantly trying to decide where is it headed? What does this mean? Um, for example, a lot of files are electronic now. So what do you do as far as file cabinets go? Well, we think there's still a certain amount of file storage needed, just not as much. So mm -hmm. how do you do that? Do you do that in a piece that doesn't look like a file cabinet? Do you do it? You know, so there's things that we're trying to address in a different way um, that we feel like at the end of the day will work in a consumer's home. Now, you're a public company, so obviously people can look at your numbers and they can get all of the details. So I don't want to take a whole lot of time to look at the numbers and they can listen to you on the conference call along mm -hmm. with uh, Paul each month. Mm -hmm. But um, most recently, your uh, your case goods business was up 12 percent in net sales and the upholstery business was up 30 percent. Um, what is Hooker doing to so outpace? I mean, the industry is growing at about 4 percent. So as a company, you must be doing something pretty well to... Uh, to be doing that? Well, you know, at the end of the day, um, I think we have a really, really good team. Um, and we have a team that's uh, made a decision um, long before me to focus on advantage channels and to make sure that um, our products are able to be uh, purchased however the consumer wants to purchase them. And um, so we, we have a lot of focus not only on, you know, we, we still have a major independent business. Um, we focus on that. We focus, we try to focus on each part that is important to our business. And we try to, it's, it's still at the end of the day, this is a relationship industry. And, and we tried our, one of our core um, things that we focus on is we just try to do the right thing and, and do what's right for our customers. We try, we, our whole goal is win-win relationships. You use the term advantage channels. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Um, really, it's it's um, what channels in the industry are growing, and okay. and what you know where's which tells you where the consumer is is really wanting to shop. So we we see a lot of a lot of growth opportunities um, in, in within the advantage channels. You know that can mean working, you know, working with contract. You know, we have a contract business uh, that that does very well. Um, there's different places in the within the industry that we that we focus on. Um, we were talking also too about Hooker's digital communication and understanding of the way marketing has changed. Um, you've been, as a company, very proactive in that space and looking at how to get in front of the consumer in a changing environment. Mm -hmm. um, and that really, uh, John Albanese and his team, they've done a great job um, understanding uh, how to keep Hooker 
focused on the right things in that digital marketing arena, and he deserves a ton of credit along with his team. Mm-hmm. You talked about the importance of team, and you keep coming back to the theme of team. Teams need leaders. <clears throat> and one of the things I'd like to talk to you today is a little bit about leadership mm-hmm. and, and how your leadership style evolved. I want to go back to the first time that you were president of a company. Mm-hmm. It was Theodore Alexander. Mm-hmm. Correct. What was that like? I mean, let's just kind of go back to the night before that you have your first day, you're about to be president. Um, I'm guessing you got your lunchbox all ready and yeah. you know, your shoes were. Yeah. Um, you know, what was that like? Um, I would say um, scary. Um, I feel, and I still feel this, I feel a huge responsibility um, to make sure that I'm doing the right things that are good for our company and for the people. Um, there, there's a lot of people. I depend on a lot of people and a lot of people depend on me. So it's, it's mutual. And so I have a real fear or fear is the wrong word, but uh, almost an anxiety that, you know, I need to get this right, you know, because really? if you don't get it right, a lot of, you know, a lot of people are affected and I feel that and I feel it still on a daily basis. And, um, you know, we have at hooker, um, we have a lot of people connected to our success in, in a lot of ways. And when you have that, everyone feels a responsibility to do the right thing and to get to where we need to go because everyone is connected in that success. So it means it means a lot. And it's not just words, which it potentially could sound like on a podcast, but it really does mean a lot. It, it really does. Yeah. One of the things for anybody as they move up in leadership, you always start by managing a small team, mm-hmm. which is a challenge in itself, but it's very direct, right? You have frequent contact with a small number of people as you move up and then you become president of a company, scaling that leadership across a much broader organization. Mm -hmm. Um, I know myself, as I moved up in my career, at some point, things start to feel a little out of your control. I mean, you have to give people the the chance to make independent decisions. And then all of a sudden you say, oh my goodness, wait, they did that. And wait, they did that. And and how what's that like as you it's, uh, it's you're right it's a real challenge um because the at the you know when you start out you're doing more of the actual you know stuff you're grinding you know you there's there's more minutiae um you're involved in everything and as you scale to your point it's impossible you can't do it i mean i'll t- give you an example um our one of our vps of merchandising they're overseas right now another merchants overseas um, operations guys overseas. So I have a lot of people, we have a lot of people that we count on that are making key, having key discussions, making key decisions, doing things that will heavily impact what we do. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, it's trust. And, and it's like I said before, we have really good people or, or I probably wouldn't sleep very well. Well, I, th- I think too, a lot of young leaders as they're coming up, I've, I've heard a lot of people in my career, they kind of say, well, you know, it, it, it's easier if I just do it myself. It takes too long for me to explain it. Or I just do it myself. And that's kind of a trap, isn't yep, it? Yep, very much so. And everyone is falling for that trap because you can get in that mode where you say, okay, I'm just going to do this, this, and this. And while you're doing that, you're actually not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And that's the trap because there, there are things you need to be figuring out, the strategy you need to be helping, figuring out what direction we're headed. And there's things you just should not be doing because they take too much time. And that's why you have the good people that you have and the team that you have. Everyone has to do their part. 
I think, like I said, I have these conversations about leadership and, and management with folks all the time and allocating time in the day and figuring out what it's okay to let go off your plate or mm-hmm. what it's okay to delegate to someone else um, and what things you really need to concentrate and focus your energy on. How did you start to learn that uh, throughout your career? And what are, are there any tips or strategies that you could share with folks who might be, you know, coming up behind you on the path? Yeah, I think um, the biggest thing that uh, you learn as you as you try to grow and try to get better is, at the end of the day, listening is the the number one thing you can do. If you can become, if I had to say one skill set that I still work on every day and still think that I need to work on and that helps me if I really do it correctly is active listening. If you can truly sit with someone and listen to what they're telling you, they'll usually give you the answer you need. You're busy trying to figure out what you're going to say next or what you need to say to them the whole time. It doesn't work. It never, it never has, it never will. And so that for me has been, um, I just continue to try to get better at that because I'll give an example. We, you know, we stopped, I've tried to have our team stop using cell phones in meetings because we've it's done the too, same because it's just too difficult to practice the act of listening. You can't it's not not many people I'm not good enough, smart enough to keep track of my phone and actively listen and participate in what people are trying to tell me and what people are trying to do. So that to me is the biggest key. You know, as a sales rep as soon as I figured out I really needed to listen to my customer and understand what they're trying to tell me, my sales improved so much as a sales rep because I finally knew what the heck I needed to sell them. You know, I knew I knew what they needed, which is the key key part of that that position. Yeah, and I think from a body language standpoint, if you're sitting there with your phone and you pick it up and you look at it, or it it rings and you lean over and you go. Oh, it's okay. I don't have to take that. There's a projection of disinterest. There's a pre- projection, I think, sometimes of, well, I don't need to take it this time, but you're really not important. I might need to take it in a second. Sends the wrong message. Not only does it send the wrong message, it also doesn't let you do what you're supposed to be doing in, in there in the first place. So that's, to me, the, one of the biggest things. As simple as that kind of sounds, it's just, it's very true. Yeah. Part of being a leader is also helping develop the next generation of leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some things that you try to do to help coach and train? And we'll get to this a little bit later, but one of the things that you wouldn't have done if you were in furniture, we'll talk about that is you would have been a coach. So yeah. how do you coach well, in this environment? Um, one of the, one of the things that I think is really big when you're, when you're trying to really help your team, particularly people that don't have as much, much experience is you have to be willing to um, there's going to be mistakes. I make them every day, you know, they're going to make them. And when those mistakes occur, there needs to be a level of encouragement to don't worry about not, I don't want you to stop making decisions because you made a mistake. I want you to keep, keep going. Um, One thing um, that my boss, my current boss, Paul Toms told me that Clyde Hooker um, told him when he was pretty much taking the reins as CEO is that he told him that, um, I want you to make decisions. I want you to do what you think is right. He said, I'm not going to stop you, and I'm not going to make the decision for you. I may tell you I didn't like it, but I'm not going to make, I'm not going to tell you to not make decisions. So I think 
one of the key aspects and key driving factors to people growing up is letting them letting them grow up, right? Letting them do what they need to do and make decisions. And there's going to be mistakes, but it's better than stopping progress. And by the way, that slips you back into what you talked about earlier was I don't need to I don't need to make every little decision for everyone. You know, they need to be making their decisions and they need to understand that we're headed a certain direction, but they they each have ownership within their own process. It's interesting, isn't it? How much business and parenting are some <laughs> in some ways similar, right? It's, you have to let your children kind of, I mean, let's use the classic example of a baby learning to walk, right? Mm-hmm. You watch them fall down on the floor. You don't pick them up and help them walk. You right. let them fall and get right. up and do it again. And, right. um, and, and you don't say, well, I didn't do it right the first three times. Well, this kid's never going to walk. <clears throat> it's just not an option. Right. That's exactly right. So, and, you know, we have talented, very talented merchants, and they, they want to head a certain direction a lot of times on specific product. And that's where you really just, you have to trust their talent. You know, they're here for a reason. They're here because they're really good at that. So you have to understand what you're good at, what, what you can help in the process, and what they're good at help, help that all combine healthy, healthily together. Mm-hmm. So. What was it like? I mean, you were at Theodore Alexander, mm-hmm. and then you came to Hooker. And I mean, there's a certain, and I think a lot of people in this industry, because it's it, people stay in the industry, you go to competitors or you go to companies that have overlaps. And mm-hmm. um, what's it like when you walk into a company that you've been competing against, right? You're the new guy and people yeah. ha- have seen you. And um, You know, ironically, um, Theodore Alexander and Hooker, I don't look at... They're not big competitors. Not direct, right. However, um, probably the better parallel is um, I was vice president of sales at ART. ART, right. And that definitely, you know, is a competitor. And But, um, you know, for me, it's it's all about doing what we do and trying to, trying to compete in the arena that we should be in. And it's not, it's interesting to say, I know we're competitors, we compete for floor space, but it's not something we think about on a daily basis. Well, that was something, wasn't it? This is Trisha again for Klausner Home Furnishings. From my very first collection, I knew I'd come to the right place, that Klausner understood what I wanted to do with my furniture, how I wanted to share my recipe for comfortable living with the world. Now let's get back to Bill McLaughlin and see what he and his guests have to share with us. We'll go back to that, you know, your first night coming to a new job, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to walk in, you're going to introduce yourself to a new team. Mm -hmm. Um, I know when I first got to Furniture Today, I was new to the industry and I wanted to convey my respect for the history of Furniture Today. Yeah. Um, So, you know, one of the things that I did is I got pictures of each of my predecessors, the editor-in-chiefs, and I hung them on the wall to just let people know, even though I have not been here I have respect for what you have achieved and I respect the history of the brand. Were there some things that you thought about in terms of, or or that you think about when you come into a new situation on a people level to kind of say to folks, I understand who you are. I respect who you are. I want to, was there anything that you Um, said to them or did with them? You know, I think that um, just having that, Without saying anything specific, I have a huge amount. Of, I had a huge amount of respect for Hooker. I always have. Okay, yeah, and, and, an right, and, and I have a huge amount of respect for the company. Um, one thing that's one reason that you wouldn't come in and say necessarily something like that is because our culture is somewhat of a no superstar 
mentality. Okay. Right. So we're all, we're all pretty much one team. A lot of people here have been here a long time, you know, and that's really, when you look at the success of hooker, not a lot of turnover. Um, the fact that, you know, we had change at my level and that, that was rare and, and different for this company. So, um, there's a stability and it's all driven by the culture that we have that, that I think that I'm extremely proud to be a part of because it's just easy when you're with people that are really driven by that. They want to do the right thing. They, you know, they want to be good people. They want to help other organizations. I mean, we're heavy in boys and girls club United way. We do a lot of things um, as a company that it's just amazing when people get uh, sick here, when people have problems in their family and there's issues, you wouldn't believe the amount of support that comes out of here that, and no one, and the beauty of it is no one really knows who's doing what, but all of a sudden there's this massive amount of support, whether it be money coming from all different directions, cards, time, whatever it is. I'm just telling you that Mm -hmm. if something happens to someone here, there's a, there's an army, you know, which is really, really cool. And not something I've ever really been a part of. It it also seems to be a, a workers' culture. I mean, oh, yeah. people we're doing this on podcast, so they can't see that I am sitting here in your office um, <laughs> next to a wall of product photos, which I will not share any details <laughs> any details about. You'll all have to Thank wait you. till market to find it. out. Yeah. But I, I mean. You're working. You have stuff up on the walls. You're going to be, as soon as I'm out of here, you're going to be making notes and doing all that kind of stuff. Um, that seems to be very much part of the culture. Yeah, it's a, it is a hardworking culture. Um, it's a lot of fun because we all are in this, we're in a, I'll call it a grind, but we're all in it. And um, we, I think if you look at, if you talk to people around here and get a feel for who they are, everyone is passionate about what they do, no matter which job they particularly have. And that's cool. So you're right, though. It's a working culture. Um, There's there's not, you know, we don't have time to we don't have a deep, you know, amount of people in. I'm probably saying it the wrong way, but we don't have um, these uh, levels that where people can just say, well, I need you to do this. I mean, you got you got to get at it. I think that's the nature of business today. Right. I mean, every company, I think, having gone through that last recession. Those layers of extras, yeah. right? I think, and it, I think this is probably true of most companies, is there's not a lot of waste. You spend a lot of time figuring out how do we get lean and how do we make everybody yeah. contribute as much as they can. I don't yeah. think that's... I mean, I can tell you from the top of this company, down the hall, down, they working. It's a working mentality. And uh, it's great because that's how we get done what we need to get done. Because it's hard to do otherwise. Well, doesn't that go back to leadership also, yeah. right? You, yeah. you lead by example, and There's if people no see you... There's no doubt. That, that's absolutely true, and I'm a big believer in that. So, so thankfully, we, we seem to all enjoy working. So that's good. <laughs> that's the one thing I found out about the furniture business is it's filled with people who just love furniture. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just such a great industry, but it's always been about the people. And um, I've always said, if you can figure out your customer and your product... You know, the rest, you should be able to figure out the rest pretty easily. Now, figuring out your customer for you, that that kind of goes back to where you started, right? I mean, you started at, at Lewis Shanks. That's right. Now, I'll be forever grateful to the Fourwoods for giving me an opportunity at Lewis Shanks. Um, I came in right out of school and um, 
it was just a great, great uh, experience for me. I spent a lot of my day merchandising. Uh, it was a hundred and something thousand square foot store. And back then it was Sharpies and drop tags. Oh, <laughs> so it wasn't old school. Oh, yeah, it was old school. And I had to know, you know, Cheryl Furniture was this and this this line was this. And I looked at things from Hinkle Harris and, and LaBarge and Drexel Heritage and Henderdon. You could go down the line of different companies that I was able to learn a lot about why they did things and why that, you know, just perfect experience to start out in. I loved it. And I, it was tough, though. Really oh, tough. I'll bet. Yeah. I'll bet. Um, did you have to memorize different things? And- yeah, you just had to know... Um, you know, what, what, why, how are we pricing every line and why are we doing it? And if we go on sale, what do you, you had to kind of have all that in your, but you know, I was right out of school, so they didn't expect me to know as much as, you know, I'm sure, (laughs) you know, I would have had to grow, but at the time it seemed like a lot. Was that good experience for when you became a manufacturer's rep? Yes. Very good. In fact, um, uh, I worked my first uh, manufacturing rep position was with King Hickory and my uncle was the VP of sales who's now part owner of Huntington House and uh, he I'll again be forever grateful he gave me my first opportunity as a sales rep and uh, it, he wouldn't have hired me he said that if I hadn't had retail experience so it was it was critical <laughs> to me so you really have a lot of family in the business uh, I kind of I do I've got Steve and then uh, Josh Pearsall is my cousin and he's, you know, owns Huntington House. And so, yeah. That's and your of, wife. And my wife. Yeah. <laughs> my wife, Robin. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Isn't it? It's a, it's a family business, isn't yes. it? Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And there's a lot of fam- great families in this industry. I mean, you could go down the line of a lot of retailers, a lot of manufacturers. Um, just look at the, you know, the hooker legacy with, you know, Clive and. Clyde and you got you got just a ton of legacy in the entire industry. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty neat. It's a it's a really uh, it's a great industry. Yeah. So let's um, just uh, I'm here again with Jeremy Hoff, uh, president of Case Goods and Upholstery at Hooker Furniture. Um, we're talking about furniture and life and philosophy. So let's let's take a, a little new direction. Let's talk about if you hadn't been in the furniture business, what would you be? What would you have done? What would you like to have done? Probably be, uh, probably be a dream to be a uh, like a college head football coach. You know, and I think you know, I still think the leadership part of that would be a lot of fun. Um, I'd like being around that age group, and, and I love the sport. So I think, as far as you know, everybody always thinks about what would kind of a dream job be. That would be that would be pretty cool. What college? Well, you know, my alma mater is Indiana. Uh huh. It's a little tough with football, but I think I got to go with Indiana. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe you could make them you an actual know. right. Make know. them competitive with you the Ohio know. State. That's right. Right. That's right. That's yeah, you right. could be the Bobby Knight of Indiana football, or just take the yearly beatdown. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand. Yeah. I can't. The the school I, I graduated from Stony Brook University, which when I was there it was Division Three. They're D one now, but. Wow. Still not anything uh, yeah, that's that anybody's going to write home about. Right. Yeah. yeah, I understand. Yeah. Did you ever do any youth football coaching when you're, because uh, you have two boys who play football. Yeah, I, I was always kind of there and, and helped when I could, but I always had 
a lot to do and, uh-huh. and uh but I tried I tried to kind of be there when I could and um I did some soccer coaching too, you know, with my youngest son, but and some basketball coaching. So I grew up in Indiana, so you had to play basketball as well. It wasn't it like kind of a law? Yeah, you, yeah. I went to Bob Knight basketball camp. And, did you? Yeah. Did you ever meet him? I did. Um I met him and then he told our group that, you know, if we got into any trouble at the camp, he would call our eighth grade coach and have him cut us. Wow. So we were perfect, perfect angels. I'll bet. do anything. <laughs> wow. He's been, t- he's even tough with kids. That would work at that time in Indiana. If Bob Knight called your coach, you, you'd be done. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> wow. That's, that's so, a, that's a great story. Yeah. That's yeah, a great so that story. Was a lot of fun. Yeah. So, um, you like to do some business reading. Um, what do you like to read? You know, I don't get enough time, um, necessarily, um, to read necessarily book after book. I enjoy it. I really enjoy it. Candidly, the wall street journal. I, I, I like reading that every day when I get a chance. And, um, usually in the morning when I get up, I read through a pretty good part of that. Um, so that's my main read. I was hoping you would have said furniture today, but that's yeah. okay. Sorry. Sorry. That's sorry. all right. I'm a, I'm a wall street <laughs> journal fan. <laughs> all right. All right. So anyway, that's my main, yeah. main yeah. one. Okay. What do you do to relax when you do have some downtime? Um, try to exercise, which, you know, can be challenging. Um, that always helps. Uh, I spend a ton. I spend a lot of time when I'm not working with my family. So if I'm not having to travel or be overseas or I, I see that as a huge opportunity to spend time with my family. I try to. Um, my son still has a lot of football stuff. And if, I, if he has anything going on, I try to I try to be at every one of anything he has going on, if it's a game or uh, he goes every weekend over to Charlotte to a team over there. So I go over there with him a lot on the weekend and things like that. It's tougher watching than playing, isn't it? I mean, my son was a wrestler and, um, and I had to stop my wife once. She was like, get off my son. That's an intense sport to watch your, your kid do. Well, it's because it's one-on-one. Right. And at some point they're yeah. on the ground with somebody on top of them, yeah. kind of squeezing them. Right. And, you know. Yeah, they did it. Both of my sons did that in middle school, and that was definitely the most intense experience watching our kids in any sport. Um, the second most would be my oldest son was a linebacker, and you know he's in on so many plays. Oh yeah, you just get you get worried, and then he's a my youngest is a wide receiver, so it's my wife and I have found that's actually easier. <laughs> you know, he just don't, he's not in as many, uh, you know, contact. Mm-hmm. Place. Do you find yourself saying, don't throw it to him, don't throw it to him? Uh, Not I, quite, but... I think my wife would say she has. I've never, I've never said that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably a little bit the opposite. Yeah, Throw sure. it to him. Come yeah, on, come on, throw it, throw it to him, him. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, nowadays you see wide receivers take some just really, really tough hits, right? Yeah. So you always worry about that. Oh, yeah, definitely. I like the outside plays a lot more than the inside. So. It's tougher being a parent, like I said, than, than playing, right? Yeah, you don't worry is. about yourself. It is. And, um, you know, you get a little bit conflicted. If he wasn't doing that, what would he be doing? It's like, okay, you want him doing, you and I talked about this before we got started with this. You want him doing something. Mm-hmm. And he loves to play. You know, he's doing what he loves to do. And, you know, he's wears some of the best equipment and all that good stuff. And, well, you know, it's interesting. You talked, to, I think team sports are such a, a good training ground. I mean, think about how you talked about the company here and how many times the word team came up in your discussion of, of Hooker, yeah. right? And yeah. it's, I mean, business is a team sport. Yeah. And so having the skills to be able to work within a team, 
to lift up your teammates. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really important. You learn a lot just playing any team sport. Really being with the team in general is, is a great training ground. And, uh, you know, he's learning things that he doesn't know he's learning right now. Right. But he learned, he's learning how to, he's learning a lot how to work hard. You know, he's training all the time. He gets up at 530 in the morning, goes yeah. and works out. And, you know, so he's got a, his own grind going on that. That kind of he's discipline. Consistent. Yeah. And he's up when I don't have to get him up. He's up and out the door a lot of times before I, before I am. So that self-motivation right. is valuable. Right. Exactly. So that's, that's a big, I'm telling that's a huge skill set that you're training yourself on. That's going to benefit you for your life. You know, and I think he seems to maybe get some of that. 16, you know. 16, is he driving? Yes. That's yeah, oh, a little scary, too. I, I know, isn't it? The, yeah. the first time they out of your sight in a car. and Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could, we could do a whole podcast that's on right. parental that's right. worries. That's exactly right. right. Um, if you could sit down and have dinner with anyone throughout history, other than, you know, let's say a, a family member, right? Anybody who you could just have a, a conversation with about anything. Who would that? Uh, I'll give you two. One would be that's obviously passed is Abraham Lincoln. And the other one that's still alive, of course, is Warren Buffett. So those would be my past and present, you know, dreams. So, you might be able to to work the the Warren Buffett. Well, one there. you know, I've uh, maybe I talk to Irv Irv Bumpkin and see if he'll <laughs> see if he'll get me close. No, I just I have so much respect for what he's done, and and also you know it's interesting. I for some reason I feel like he's if you just watch and listen to him and see how he's how he's um, gone about his life. I think you would see some similarities between him and Clyde, you know, if it, because there's this, um, I'll call it minimalist approach. Um, the ego doesn't seem to be there. You know, he seems to have all that in check. He's very real. Um, he's just a common sense mm-hmm. guy that's incredibly smart. It's figured out niches in business that obviously are huge. You know, and so I just see, I see some similarities. Yeah, I never had the opportunity to meet Clyde Hooker, but when people speak of him, the word that seems to come up a lot is humility. Yeah, that, yeah, I'll tell you that you're exactly right. That is, that is the number one thing you hear, but you hear that and you also hear, um, he really, he cared about not only everyone here, but their families. He knew everyone's kids' names. He knew how old they were. He knew, he had a memory like you wouldn't even believe. But he also took, he had, he cared enough to utilize the memory. I mean, he would, guys out in our warehouse, he'd ask them how they were doing, how's their son. He'd ask specifically, he would name them. Mm. You know? And at the time also, we had the factories here. So he knew, he was a legend in there. Everyone knew, you know, knew when he walked through and he would talk to everyone. He'd have these, um, uh, I heard about meetings outside and the state of the company and how we're doing with, you know, and it was just, it was a really, it, you hear, I, I, you never hear anything about him other than just kind of legendary positive things that you, that you kind of aspire to. You're like, man, I, I hope I can do some of that. Well, that's where culture starts, right? I mean, uh, when you talk no about question. the company culture, that's the there's origin of that. No, no question that it started with him and that's, that's the, the compass. That's the, that's the North, if mm-hmm. you will. 
Lincoln, too, I think, is an interesting choice. I mean, when you think about, and, and everything in some way comes back to furniture, sorry about that, but mm-hmm. the industry is undergoing enormous change. The country is undergoing enormous change. And you think about someone like Lincoln having to lead through a period of absolutely tumultuous chaotic change. Yeah, right. right? And, right. and the ability to manage personalities through change. Yeah, amazing. Just an amazing man. So that, that would be the one for sure for me. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have run through all of my questions, but is there anything else that you'd like to, to talk with to, to people about or uh, any secrets that you'd like to share? That, no, no I, uh, I appreciate you taking the time, and um, hopefully this is anything anyone would want to listen to. <laughs> I think people would want to listen to right, this kind right, of stuff. We'll find so I really out. appreciate you taking yeah. the time. Thank you. I appreciate it.